You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Hi, I am here in studio today with a very special guest. Oh, and by studio, I mean my storefront in Dobbs Ferry here with Affordable Interior Design. But today joining me is Melissa Devaris Thompson. She is a psychotherapist and she works with couples, she works with individuals, and she has a practice in New York City and a website called embracingjoy.com. And believe it or not, as a designer, a lot of people think that I pick up pretty couches and choose pillows, but I actually consider myself an armchair therapist of sorts as well. Nobody calls affordable interior design because they're having a great day. People do not want to spend money on an interior designer at this level. People need to fix problems. They've got toy clutter. They're disagreeing with their spouse on what color to paint the walls. They've already purchased something that felt like a splurge and it's not working in their space. They call me in crisis. And so the first thing I have to do is de-escalate the situation. So I do consider myself quite talented as a therapist, but I think Melissa is going to put me in my place today because I need some new strategies and techniques, and I think you're going to have lots of answers for us. So welcome. Thank you so much, Betsy. It's so fun to be here, and I'm really excited to be in your studio slash storefront. (laughs) So let's dive right in. Let's keep this really real. As a therapist, I feel like I can open up to you and share things with you. So you and I both moved from urban environments to the suburbs, and as such, there were some challenges. And so when we were brainstorming what we might talk about on today's podcast, you mentioned some really amazing things that I thought were great to lock in on. So as a suburban mom, I moved from the city, and I do feel a lot of pressure. We're in Westchester, one of the most expensive counties in the nation. How do people deal with this sort of desire to be perfect and promote that perfect image of them being the ideal housewife and mother and manage that with their decor? Like, What do you see as a stressor? I think it's so challenging, that transition from more of an urban, kind of busy, you know, like in our case, it'd be New York City, and then people moving up to Westchester where it's a lot more quiet. But then it also becomes, in my experience and what I've talked to other moms about here and other women in Westchester, is that it becomes kind of small. And we live in a very privileged, you know, town. There's um, lots of incomes coming in. And what maybe wasn't triggering in New York City is now, you know, you can see the grand homes and you can see, you know, people get to hire someone like Betsy who's amazing and their houses look fantastic. And what that can spur in somebody is a feeling of not good enough. And I think it definitely gets triggered more so. I mean, yes, obviously being in New York City is, you know, a high income bracket, but also moving outside of the city, people really start to buy homes. They start to have land. They start to really buy pieces for the homes that they care about. And I think you just get a better sense of who a person is, obviously, once you go into their home. And that can be triggering for some people up here. Well, I think that's exactly right. And I never quite thought about it. But the wealth is so much more obvious here. Before, we were all sort of on top of each other and the playing field was equaled because no apartment was really that much bigger. They were all limiting in certain ways. Even if you had a lot of money, maybe you weren't buying those perfect pieces. You were waiting until you were in a better place or a bigger place. So now people are really starting to flaunt what they have or it becomes more conspicuous what they don't have. How do you help people deal with that feeling? 
Well, I think if I if I kind of talk about it in a design aspect, to me, it comes back to what you do have. You know, whether it's, you know, and here I am talking design, you know way more about this than me. But if I was working with a client who was talking about these challenges, I would really help them focus on what they do have. You know, maybe it's a, a wonderful relationship with their husband. You know, if we start in that realm, maybe they've got some things in their life that they're really grateful for. And then to go into your realm, maybe it's a painting that they really enjoy and that brings them a lot of happiness and that they feel really connected to and it's really sentimental. And that is what can make their home feel more special. And I think that, you know, to take the angle of what makes your home who you are as opposed to the size of it or, you know, the financial price tag on it, to me feels the most important to focus on. I love that idea of maybe keying into something sentimental, whether it's an heirloom that they've had passed down or something that just triggers an important memory, even if we bought it on art.com of a place that they felt really great when they went on vacation. So I like that idea of maybe having that be a focal point in a room so that way you're not just thinking about it a lot, you're visually experiencing a lot when you're in your home. And also maybe having that conversation piece so Mm -hmm. that people aren't just focusing on where you got your sofa and rather they're looking at that piece and wondering, what's that? You know, something that they couldn't buy even if they do have all the money in the world. Mm. The other thing as we're talking that I kind of want to ask your help on, Betsy, is, you know, when I was single or even when I was newly married, there was such freedom in like picking out, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but like items that are like white in color, you know, or like, you know, glass items. And now that I'm a mom to like two very awesome and active children, I, I feel like a lot of my style can't come through. You know, I feel like it's become more practical versus really fun and exciting. And so there's this whole notion that your home should represent you. And yet having children, to me, it kind of feels like I've kind of lost my way a little bit with that. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, it depends what your style intrinsically was. If your style is elegant with, you know, lots of thin-legged things and things that don't feel quite as comfortable or kid-friendly. If your style was glam with a ton of mirrored furniture, just things that obviously wouldn't be acceptable to kids or wouldn't look good in an environment with kids, what with fingerprints and sharp corners. I could see where you would feel, um, you know, that you couldn't express yourself. Fortunately, that's not my style. So, uh, but I think that you can, I hate to say that way. I was going to say dumb the style down or just segue the style so that way you don't feel like you've lost yourself. Maybe you're using your favorite colors, you know, but instead you're picking furniture that's not made of glass or furniture that has those rounded edges. Or maybe you keep those items out of arm's reach. So, the exciting thing about kids is that they're only so tall. So you can put those things up high. You can put them behind doors. So that way they're a little bit more out of reach, but you still get to have those things that resonate with you. Also, I think the master bedroom is a place where you should fully express yourself. You should buy that bedding that feels opulent and sumptuous and is maybe a splurge. You should get that lamp that you would never get for the living room because they would knock it over. And then you should make a boundary. Like, this is my room. This is my space. I was going to say you get a big lock and then you just lock the door. (laughs) Well, and I'm saying this now and both my kids come into my room every single single night and I just bought a very sumptuous beautiful velvet and silk um, (laughs) duvet on West Elm and my daughter immediately took it out of the box and took it under her bunk bed and made a fort 
So, of course, these are great things to say on a podcast. It can be harder to implement in real life. And it's hard for me to get into that mindset because I never really had that mentality Mm. of liking super fine things that kids couldn't touch. That being said, I think it's about boundaries. And I don't think kids should run your life. And I do have clients, um, particularly here in Westchester, who do want that formal living room Mm. that their kids know I behave differently in this room. They do want that formal dining experience where the seats have cream fabric. And uh, that's just something not even I could maintain as a single person, please. (laughs) Makes me nervous just as you say it. Uh, I I can't ever imagine a time when I enjoyed white um, and anything other than lacquer that I could spray down with Windex. But... But certainly, it's just about creating those boundaries. Mm. Kids don't have to be your whole life. They can be a part of your life. And even though I'm still aspiring to have that master bedroom that's truly mine, I go ahead and splurge there. I have a glass chandelier, and my kids come in, and they jump on my bed, and they get about two inches away from hitting that gosh darn chandelier. And it's just about I'm really – jump on your own bed, but you can't jump this way in mommy's room. These are things you can't do in mommy's room. The rules – can be bent in those areas that are special to you. You deserve to have some space. I think you're bringing up such a good point from a psychological perspective because as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the women, you know, that I've worked with in my practice, um, in my life, that once they have children, they feel like they can't express themselves, whether it's in clothing because they have to, you know, have a breast accessible, you know, they're breastfeeding, or they don't want to get, you know, formula spilled on it or throw up on it, you know, or they don't fit into their clothes. And then going into the home, sort of a similar situation where, you know, you just don't feel comfortable. Like maybe the, maybe the item is not, you know, very high-end and expensive, but it's very meaningful to you. And, you know, little fingers keep going by that area, and every time they do, you start to feel a little anxious about it. But I think what you're saying right now really resonates. Like there's a way of kind of claiming your space and not losing your identity, which I think is so important. And I think also helps those, you know, people when they start comparing to other people's places and other people's homes and, you know, who am I as a mom and who am I as a person? To me, it's sort of a signifier that maybe you've lost a little bit of your way in the expression of who you are. Well, and I think it's important to bend in some areas and be firm in other areas. So as a mother, you're just going to have to start bending (laughs) and, you know, you're just going to have to make some compromises with your style and you're just going to have to figure out a way to express your inner self while making these compromises. And that's part of the mother's path. That being said, that shouldn't be the entirety of your life. And I have an office that I'm, like, even stricter about than my master. (laughs) The kids are not allowed in my office. Like, they know that's a thing. They tell their friends. We can't play hide-and-seek in there. So, you know, I think it's just about the way you lead your life, too. And this could maybe go into all facets of life, including feeding your kids and things like that. There's places you bend. You go to Chuck E. Cheese sometimes. (laughs) And then there's places you don't bend. Like, we are eating this tonight, and you are going to eat this, or you are going to starve, and that's how we go. So I just feel like there's kind of this duality that you almost have to create as a mom to maintain your selfhood. But I'm sure you know more about that than me. (laughs) But another thing that you brought up when we were talking about what we were going to talk about is you brought up this idea of perfectionism, which I actually do have a hard time with because I like my home to look magazine ready. In fact, when people come over for playdates, I'm an interior designer. Like, if my freaking home doesn't look magazine ready, then there's a lot of judgment. Seriously, we had somebody over. um, My daughter's best friend had hired us 
And so they had hired us before they became best friends and then they were going to come over. And I was like, honey, no, I need an hour to clean this house impeccably. I need to show this woman that I know what I'm doing and I walk the walk and talk the talk. But day to day, I mean, you cannot bring a you know, house beautiful camera into my home and take pictures and know that an interior designer lives there. I mean, it looks kind of lived in, even though it cleans up nice, cleans up nice. That's kind of a me too. (laughs) I look a little lived in, but I clean up nice. So what would you say about people who are striving for that image or that perfection standard that's just really hard to reach? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's such a, a, such a trap that as moms, we all fall into, you know, there's this, there's this concept of guilty mom, like there's so much guilt. And then the other side of that is getting things perfectly done perfectly all the time. And whether that's in your home or whether that's how you feed your kids or whether that's how you soothe your kids or whether that's how you appear out in the community when your kid is having a complete meltdown and all you want to do is have a complete meltdown. You know, I think there's just, there's so much pressure on moms to do it all, to be it all, to show up for everybody. And this idea of perfectionism, I think it's sort of, you know, inherent in becoming a mom that it gets triggered. And what I would say in terms of trying to work with it, how I work with it with my clients, is really kind of learning how to how to give yourself a little permission to kind of slow down and to get yourself off the hook and to really, again, to me, I don't know why I've got gratitude on the brain, but to kind of turn to what is working. What do you do well? What are you awesome at? And, you know, see it from that angle that no one is perfect and that there are ways that we can work within ourselves to kind of be a little bit more compassionate and kind. And therefore, you know, if we do that for ourselves, then it allows us to be more compassionate and kind with others around us. All right. So should I still like kick my kids out of the house for an hour and clean before every play date? (laughs) You know what? If it's going to alleviate some anxiety, do it. You know, if it's important to you, do it. I mean, I have the same thing, you know, when when I have a play date, of course, I want to clean up. I want it to look nice. But, you know, then friends will walk in and I go, oh, I didn't get to that corner. Oh, I forgot all that paperwork over there. What are they going to think? They're going to think I'm a slob. They're going to think I don't have my stuff together. I'm a therapist. So I'm in the same kind of wheelhouse in that way of, you know, if I'm having a bad day and I'm upset about something or I can't figure out a challenge, you know, there is that kind of perfectionism on myself in that way of like, no, you're a therapist. You're supposed to have it all figured out. And, you know, I get it that I'm not superhuman, but you know, there is that pressure that I too feel. And if it's going to, it comes back to, if it's going to alleviate some of your anxiety, do it. But just know that there's a line that sometimes, you know, you you can say to yourself, it's okay to sit down, kick your feet up and relax. All right. Okay. Then I am <laughs> definitely going to keep man- <laughs> manically cleaning before playdates. Um, so we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to come back with some advice for couples because I have a lot of couples at odds. Um, that's a nice way to put it. I have some couples at war between styles and apartments and houses. So we'll get into it after this break. Have you always wanted to work with an interior designer, but just weren't sure you could afford it? Also, you weren't sure how to go about it. Well, you can work with affordable interior design. Whether you're in the New York area or in Australia, we can help you with your design dilemmas with our all new virtual transformation package. This package is a two hour experience with one of our pros. You will get an entire room transformed. 
All you have to do is send in pictures and measurements of the space you'd like to work on. Then our designer spends the first hour on the phone with you determining the perfect layout for that room. The second hour is spent online shopping together. Virtually, you will be scouring the internet looking for those perfect items that will give you that designer look and all the pieces we find for you will fit within your budget. At the end of the call, you get a computerized floor plan and you get that click and buy shopping list so that you can go out and decorate your space with confidence. That total package is $3.95. Don't wait. Write us today at info at affordableinteriordesign.com to sign up for your transformation. Check out more information at affordableinteriordesign.com and we can't wait to work with you. All right, we are back. We are back with Melissa DeVaris Thompson from EmbracingJoy.com. She is a psychotherapist and she is here to give us coping strategies, techniques that we can use when we're designing. So like I was saying earlier, I do consider myself a very uh, accomplished therapist, even though I have no, <laughs> no schooling to back that up because I work with couples all the time who are really fighting. The main fight that I see is over style. So he really likes traditional. She really likes modern. They can't see a way to flex and bend. One person really has to win out because the styles feel super at odds. Uh, I have a way that I manage that, but I would love to hear your strategy for that. <laughs> you know, as I think about that, in the way of working with couples, um, I think what is so useful, and it sort of minim, you know, kind of simplifies it. There's so much I could say about this, but the first piece is really learning how to listen to your partner. And I don't mean like half listening with a defense kind of ready to go, ready to fire as soon as the other person stops talking. I mean really trying as best you can to kind of not come with your rebuttal, you know, and really hearing what they say. And sometimes in couples therapy, I actually ask somebody, well, what did your partner just say? What did you hear? Because there is also a way in which between couples, what you say comes out of one person's mouth, it somehow gets changed around midair and then lands in the other person's mind in a completely different way. And they hear it in a completely different way. So it is helpful to really take the time, whether, you know, very practically you give each other, okay, I'm going to give you two minutes or five minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, to really hear about what's important for you. And in this case, it's style. Like what really matters to you in how we decorate this room, how we decorate our house. And then we're going to switch and you're going to listen to me. And, you know, really trying to communicate with each other is the number one first step that I'm imagining will help all your people listening that hire you and will help you in dealing with them. They'll kind of do their homework a little bit before you enter the door. That's interesting because I never do ask them to try and compromise before I get there. I have them fill out questionnaires separately. I want to get a good, clear vision of what each of them is fighting for <laughs> before I start mediating these issues. So I don't make them listen to each other. <laughs> but you know what? When I'm there, I think it helps because I deeply listen to mm. each person. So I have no investment personally in the outcome. I don't care if it does go traditional or if it does go modern, and I think they feel that. So I can deeply listen without those rebuttals coming up to the surface. 
And I can get a sense of what's more important to which person who really cares about this and who really cares about something else that we can solve a different way. You know, he really wanted traditional, but he didn't really want traditional. He wanted things to be comfortable. And I only found that out from listening to him. He was worried that that modern aesthetic that she had would be too cold and wouldn't be fun to jump into at the end of a hard day of work. So I can give her a comfortable sofa that has modern lines and make him very happy. So I'm always thinking, what are you really saying to me? Is this really about style or is it really about something else? We could solve this a different way. Um, But I think that deeply listening component is integral because neither one of them will trust me until they know that I understand them. So that's a big part of what I do initially. Completely. The other thing that I kind of give my um, couples sort of as homework, things to mull over, and it really was helpful for me in my own life in many, many situations, um, particularly when I was looking for a a partner, oddly enough. Um, But it does help me, and I think it can translate to design. And maybe you disagree with me, Betsy, so you let me know. But the idea of like, what are your three must-haves and what are your three can't-stands? And I'm wondering how you feel about that. Well, I have never thought about design in terms of that. In fact, and when I was looking for a partner, I never thought about that either. (laughs) Instead, and maybe this reflects my personality, I did that Oprah list Mm. where you sit down and write everything that you can think of that you want in a partner. And it has to be over 100 items. Hers is over 100? Uh, Yeah. Yes. You have have to do over 100. (laughs) That's the whole exercise. So I like struggled with the first 25. I was like, oh my gosh, must like camping, must be, you know, open to children, must, you know, these silly things. And then you go back through. So you have to do at least 100. Then you Mm. go back through and cross off all the ones that are, um, oh, what's superficial. Mm. So like camping, what does that really mean? Oh, it really meant nature. I want him to like nature. Okay. Well, there's that. So, you know, Blue eyes, what does that really mean? Oh, that just means he's really hot. Okay, well, that is purely a study. Get across that one off. Right. But um, so that's how I do it. Mm. Yeah. So I never thought about that. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, for some couples, you know, there are certain things that, well, for example, so it's kind of riding the line between like your three must-haves and your three can-stands. Like for example, my husband loves football. And he has a flag. I will not mention the name of the team because I just won't do that. And in our wedding vows, I mentioned such football in our wedding vows, saying that I will try my best to understand and appreciate all of you and your football love. And I will try not to give you a hard time. Until we bought our home. And, you know, we were fixing it up. And I was feeling really good about it. And then he unrolled the football flag. And he promised me that it would only be on game days, and then it translated to game weeks, and then it translated to game months. And so I've thought about, you know, taking the flag down, cutting it up into little pieces, burying it somewhere in the yard, like somehow saying a neighbor stole it. And there have been chances that I could have, that could have flown because there was a competing team neighbor down the street who I could have blamed it on, perhaps saying that they stole it because they didn't want it up. Anywho. The reason that I feel like it's important, too, to really talk to your partner is that this flag to him is really meaningful. He had this team before he met me. He had this jersey before he met me. They're not his colors. I'm sorry. I love you, honey, but they're just not your colors. And, you know, I think it's so much about compromise and, like, really picking your battles. I agree, even though that flag would not fly in my living room. (laughs) 
Uh, in fact, we had a similar discussion because my husband likes another team, um, which I have revealed on this show. But anyway, so my husband really likes Syracuse and he had Syracuse stuff everywhere. And so I said, what is it, you know, I want you to have a say in what happens in the design of the space, but I really don't want you to have any say at all. I just want to pick everything. Um, and I'm not going to allow any Syracuse memorabilia in here, but what can I do to reflect you in this space? And he said, well, I want you to design every room that we're in with the Syracuse colors, a blue and orange. It just has to have a little bit, mm -hmm. a blue and orange somewhere in every room. Now that I can do. <laughs> so finding that place where somebody will bend, because mm -hmm. I sure as hell wasn't going to. Good for you with that flag. Um, I don't know if it's going to make it through this football season. I have to be honest. <laughs> the neighbor might come yes. over um, secretly. So I have one final question for you. A lot of my clients are calling me when they're moving. They're either moving out of a space that they miss or they're moving into a space that they're really excited about. But no matter what's happening, they're feeling anxieties. Mm. So how can people alleviate the anxieties of these big changes? Well, hopefully they're moving somewhere better. You know, that was sort of my my first impulse, is that hopefully the move that's not happening. Not always. Not especially always. Especially in New York. Yeah. You know, you could be moving somewhere more expensive. Yeah. But it may not be better. Or you might have to leave because they upped your mm. rent. I see a lot of people who are very sad or they're getting divorced. People call oh. me in crisis. Yeah. So they're moving to a smaller place. They're downsizing mm. from a place with their kids. And now the taxes went up too high. Mm -hmm. and they have to. So I see a lot of circumstances where that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. The other thing around moving is that there's so much outpouring of money, you know, hiring movers, changing furniture options possibly, you know, all those pieces that sort of disrupt your kind of normal flow of life. Um, and so for me, the first thing I would say is to really just take it step by step. You know, what is the first step? Maybe I love clearing out clutter. My husband, again, would probably not agree with that statement, but I actually do like cleaning out clutter. So that to me would be kind of step one, breaking it down to letting go of the things that you need to let go of and really taking, like writing it all down. What are my steps that I can sort of alleviate or manage some of the overwhelm and the anxiety. And then if you are moving into a space that doesn't quite bring you joy in the same way, or you are kind of going to a smaller space, or maybe you're in a rough situation where there is a divorce or whatever, then, you know, just see if, you know, my, I mean, I'm not the designer here, but I would just imagine if there's a way to kind of move into your space with some intention of making it yours. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think no matter the space you move into, in fact, I was just talking with someone today because that's what I do. I talk about design all day. <laughs> I was just talking today about um, how people, when they move into a studio apartment specifically, have shame. Mm. They wish they could have afforded that extra wall, even if it's the same size as a one bedroom, it just doesn't have that wall. And they feel like there's a lot of shame around where they're moving and disappointment and having to be in a space like that. And the first thing you have to do is you have to fall in love with your space. You have to find some part of your space that you are just crazy about. Maybe it's the view. Maybe it's the fact that you can afford it. Maybe it's the neighborhood. Find something to fall in love with so that way you can commit to this new journey because it is going to be tough. There is going to be that long to-do list of emotionally taxing items that they're going to have to struggle through each step of the way. But if there's one way in to falling in love with this new, maybe it's a compromised space, then latch onto that and hug it hard because you're moving in whether you like this place or not. So you have to find a way to embrace joy. Do you like what I did there? That was a plug <laughs> for her website. 
Love it. You have to find a way. So, Melissa, it was such a pleasure having you. Where can we find you if we need mental health help? (laughs) Absolutely. You can find me on my website, www.embracingjoy.com. And I've also created with two other colleagues a wonderful resource for new mamas, mamas on the motherhood journey. And that is www.honestmamas.com. And we will be launching our own podcast in the fall. So, We hope to see you soon. Yay. Well, we cannot wait to listen, and it has been such a pleasure. So until next week, guys, keep sending in your questions for our Q&A, keep tuning in, and we'll see you next week. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. Even better, become a premium member. Yes, you can become a premium member of Big Design Small Budgets podcast by going to bigdesignsmallbudget.com. Not only do premium members get access to our archives of over a hundred episodes, you also get our bonus episodes, which give you a sneak peek into my world as an interior designer. Every week I share a new vignette, a new anecdote, new tips, all in that bonus series. You won't want to miss it. To become a premium member, go to bigdesignsmallbudget.com. It's $3.99 per month or $39.99 for a year's membership, and you're going to love it. I guarantee it. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.